0: It almost seemed inevitable. Every season of Lent, there was this usual routine. Now, I'm not talking about all of the different things that would take place stations of the cross and all of the different practices that might take place with that, or even going to confession, all these different things. I'm talking about the process of giving something up. It seemed inevitable. That whenever I went through and I gave up something, say sweets or maybe soda or even perhaps watching TV, that for a few days it was rather easy that I was giving that thing up and it was fine. But then a few days later, there was that voice that always, all of a sudden, started to come through. It was saying, you want all of those sweets, you want that soda, you want to watch all of those TV shows. And any other time of the year, it would have been fine that if I had given these things up, or if they'd just simply been at my disposal, I wouldn't have been interested. But all of a sudden, because I put them just out of reach for the season of Lent, all of a sudden, that temptation, it was there, and it was very powerful. And that's just one instance, and a rather small one, of that voice of temptation, that so often that voice speaks to our inner heart and our soul, and it tries to get us to do those things that we know that we shouldn't, or perhaps omit the things that we know we should. And it seems that it's inevitable for our own daily life, that there are those different things that speak to us, and perhaps are very individualized. But are we left to those things? Are we left at that the discretion? And are we powerless against the voice of temptation? Or does the Lord provide us grace? Or does he give us the ability to combat those things? And indeed, that's the question that we can answer today. Seeing what temptation is and how do we push back against it if we're strong enough. We start off this morning with the book of Genesis, and we hear about that story of Adam and Eve, specifically in that profound moment of fall. Because we've heard of this story likely many, many times, and yet it's good to go through and tease apart what exactly is happening that we all know about the story of creation in general, and we know how man is the crowning pinnacle of creation, how he's the very last thing that is created because he is the splendor of all of creation, in fact, above every other level of creation, and given dominion over all of the earth and all of the different creatures. And so Adam and Eve are in that place. They are the crowning pinnacle and that crowning jewel of creation. And so they're given dominion over everything and we hear about the garden of paradise that place of the garden of Eden that they're given and it's all at their disposal. And we hear about all of these different trees, all of these different plants and all of these different things, and yet there's two trees that stand in the middle, the the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were told not to touch specifically the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in fact, whenever they hear that, they largely obey that, at least for a while. But then a serpent appears, and he starts to tempt their hearts and their souls, knowing very well that he can evoke this sort of desire in their heart for that thing that they've been told that they cannot have. And so they start to, all of a sudden, they hear that voice of the serpent, and they start to desire that very thing that the woman Eve is telling the serpent about how they've been instructed not to have this lest they die. The serpent kind of laughs that off, and he says, you won't die, you'll become like gods. In fact, that's the very thing you want, isn't it? And so, in fact, the woman starts to see that. She hears that voice, and all of a sudden that desire is awakened in her heart for something that she should not have. So she takes the fruit and she eats it and gives it also to the man, and he also eats it. And at once the consequence is realized because we notice that before they were in complete nakedness with no shame. And then all of a sudden there is that moment of shame that they have to all of a sudden cover themselves because that knowledge is there. But what's more, death enters into reality then in fact the Lord did tell them of the consequence of their action. That the serpent kind of denied all of the negative consequences and all of those harsh realities, but instead tried to evoke something of a desire that he wanted to make that appear really good for them, even though in fact it was really bad. And thus sin enters the world. We might think that this is a moment of hopelessness, but in fact, whenever we look at the next reading in St. Paul and his letter to the Romans, we're reminded that this is not a moment of hopelessness, but rather a moment for hope, and profound hope at that. Because we hear about that first transgression that enters through Adam in the first part of that reading from the letter of St. Paul, that it tells us about that transgression, about how sin enters the world, and thus also death that there's this division, this break between man and God, and all of a sudden, because of the sin, because of the desires that Adam and Eve had, because of that profound sin of pride, all of a sudden, there is this rift, there is this division that takes place, and all it might seem lost, at least for a moment, and yet there's something more, because if we, in fact we see this second part of the reading, we notice that there is this transgression, but in fact the gift that is given surpasses the transgression. That we see that there is something more powerful given through this second person of Adam, the new Adam, namely Jesus Christ himself. Then in fact, he is the one that gives acquittal. He's the one that removes that sin debt. That he is the one that makes it possible to bridge that relationship and that gap, yet again, between God and between his creation, between him and between all of mankind. That, in fact, that gift is so profound that it overabundantly fulfills the satisfaction needed for that one original sin. But not just that but even our own personal sins, even those own wrongdoings that each of us have, that it overcomes even those things because this gift is so abundant and pours out so lavishly upon the entire church and upon each and every one of us. And so St. Paul is reminding us, though disobedience entered through one man, obedience enters through another, and obedience overpowers and even surpasses that disobedience that was there before. So the old Adam is wiped away and made new by the new Adam, namely Jesus Christ himself. But in fact, we should see exactly how this plays out, even while Jesus walked this earth, and we're given that ability and that perspective through the gospel, because it tells us about that time that Jesus was tempted, not only once, not only twice, but three different times, and in fact, he stood and withstood each of those tests and all of the wiles of the tempter that was standing in his midst. So we're told about this story, that he goes out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That, in fact, he goes out with this sense of purpose. And he goes out for 40 days and 40 nights, representing our very own Lenten observance. The ways that we remove all of the things that get in the way of our relationship with God. And so Jesus does the very thing, that he gives us that prototype for the season of Lent. And so he goes out, and then after the 40 days and 40 nights are over, the tempter approaches because he thinks that this should be a moment of vulnerability. This should be the moment that if Jesus is going to misstep, it'll be right here and right now. And yet we see that that's not true. Because, in fact, Jesus approaches each of these three temptations and overcomes each and every one of them because he knows that there's something greater. So the first one to turn those rocks into loaves of bread... And Jesus knows that this is only a temporary solution to a long-lasting problem. Then, in fact, he tells them that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So it's not about consuming anything earthly or something temporal, but it's about something eternal. And that's what the Word of God is. And even the Eucharist that is that bread that lasts forever and truly satisfies. But then the second temptation, that he takes him up to the parapet of the temple, asking Jesus to throw himself down to see if the Lord will come and save him from his plight. But in fact, this is an archetype for us too, that it reminds us of those moments whenever we could be tempted to test God, or whenever we might be tempted not to trust or not to have faith. And even Jesus himself, because he's going to do something so great through the power of the cross, that the devil's trying to poke holes in this and see if the Lord will relent, if Jesus himself will go back on his word. And yet he doesn't, because he says, the Lord your God shall not be put to the test. That in fact, even though the devil himself uses scripture against Jesus, that Jesus knows the truth and the reality of what that scripture is saying. That in fact, the Lord isn't to be put to the test, but he's to be had faith in. And that's the reality of where the Lord is standing and why Jesus pushes back and rebukes the devil at that time. And then the final test, that the devil takes him up to that mountain in that very high place and shows him all of the different kingdoms and all of the different riches of the world, all of the temporal glory that can be had. And yet, whenever Jesus sees all of these things, and whenever the devil asks that asking price of just simply worshiping him for a time, then in fact Jesus tells him that the Lord your God shall you worship and him alone shall you serve. Then in fact, then Jesus sees all of these things and forsakes every single last one of them because they're not what he's there for. Then in fact, he could have maybe enjoyed all of those things, but, in fact, it wasn't enough because he's seeking after the kingdom of God. And that's the only one that lasts and the only one that truly satisfies. And he wants to show that in a very vivid and a very real way. But as we hear about all of these things, we have to consider, how do these apply to my reality? How do these apply to me specifically in my own concrete circumstance? Well, first, it's this. Temptation is very real. Now, certainly, maybe we don't see the devil walking around in the same way that he was walking around with Jesus, or maybe not even as that serpent that it was in the Garden of Eden, but he is still there. It's that persistent voice that always speaks to us and tries to get us to to desire things that are not good for us and things that might seem good, or at least he wants to make seem good, but in fact aren't. Temptation is a very real reality. And indeed, I say, like, as Jesus had these three temptations personalized for just him, perhaps each and every one of us have our own temptations, our own weak points, the places where the devil goes time and time again because he feels like he can weaken us right there if he just continues to box us in that very weak and very tender point. And indeed, oftentimes we do fail, but that doesn't mean that we have to. Because, in fact, these temptations are very real. They're a part of our reality. And perhaps we feel like we're beaten down by them time and time again. But there's a catch. That there is no temptation that is beyond our power. There is no temptation that is so strong that we won't be able to resist the wiles of the devil. Because, in fact, we know that we know someone so much more powerful than the devil himself. And, in fact, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Because if we go back to that second reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, we're reminded about the fact that transgression is very much there. That in fact sin is a reality, temptation is there as well. But there is one thing that always overpowers, overpowers every single sin, every single temptation, and that is the blood of the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ himself. That, in fact, we know that temptation can often be so strong in our hearts and our souls, and it might seem like it is so powerful that we look at it and we cower in fear. But we don't need to. Because, in fact, we know that we, if we humbly approach our Lord and our God, if we humbly bow before Jesus Christ himself, the one who overcame every sin and every temptation in our life, who walked our very same walk and talked the, same very, the very same talk that we do, then, in fact, if he is able to overcome sin and temptation himself, he wants to give us that power as well, because he loves and cares for us so much. So that's the reality, if we're humble enough to approach the Lord our God, that we can have victory over sin, we can have victory over temptation. But we have to be willing to approach the throne of grace and to see the ways that God our Father wants to enter into our reality. But what if we do sin? What if we do accidentally misstep? What if the wiles of the devil seem like they're overpowering for that time and we fall victim to whatever might be our weakness or whatever might be a soft spot for us? What happens then? What if we find ourselves in the place of Adam and Eve and we find ourselves glaring upon ourselves in shame or just looking at ourselves with disdain because we've fallen yet again? Or maybe we find ourselves in habitual sin time and time again where we feel like we'll never be free from that thing. What do we do? We approach the throne of grace anyway. Because we know that we've been given a powerful sacrament in the sacrament of reconciliation. That need wants to remove all of these things, all of these sins, all of these different divisions that remove us from our Lord and our God, yes. And that's so important. But it wants to give us grace. They don't want us to strengthen us in those spots where we might feel like we're not strong enough. Those places where we feel like we're deficient or that we might, be not, we might never have victory in the Lord. Or we might never have victory over those sins and over those temptations. Because, in fact, the reconciliation room or the confessional, it's a place of victory, not of failure. Because it's the place where we recognize our need and our dependence upon God our Father. That if we continue to approach the throne of grace time and time again, then we'll find ourselves not only renouncing sin, not only renouncing those ways that we fall short of the gospel and the ways that it calls us forward into a different way of life, but we'll find ourselves strengthened. Because our Lord wants to give us grace in those areas where we're weak. He wants to strengthen those areas. He wants to give us the ability to follow him more completely. Because he loves us so much. That's a reality that, in fact, whenever we go back to St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, he reminds them that he wants to give them the abundance of his grace. He wants to pour out everything that they need to become that better disciple, that better apostle, that better person that's more able to follow the Lord. And he wants to give us that grace that is so abundant that it all but overcomes and it even overwhelms past transgressions, whether it's Adam and Eve's or whether it's our own. In fact, we just need to simply approach the Lord our God. It's possible no matter what has happened. But in fact, we should approach that throne of grace with such courage and with conviction because we know that it is the key to victory and success. It's going to lead us out of a place of shame and into a place of light and even a place of victory. Because the reality is, my brothers and sisters, none of us are immune to temptation. None of us are immune to the wiles of the devil, and the devil is very aware of the different ways that we might be weak or the ways that he can get us to fall repeatedly time and time again. That's not what we should be concerned about. But Rather, we should be concerned about approaching the Lord our God because Jesus Christ himself shows us how to renounce all of the different wiles, all of the different temptations, all of the different struggles that the devil might throw our way. But in fact, he shows us that he wants to give us victory. He wants to give us success. Most importantly, he wants to give us strength so that we can be resilient in our path and we can continue to follow the Lord our God. Because as much as temptations might be personalized to each and every one of us, as strong as they might be, that the Lord wants to give us power in those moments to recognize that if we truly rely upon the Lord, if we trust in him and have faith, That even in our worst moments, even in those moments of temptation, even though temptation isn't a sin itself, but we might be led into sin, if we rely on the Lord in those moments, then we can have victory, we can have success, and we can enjoy strength because the Lord our God is pouring out grace and divine aid upon each and every one of us. So my brothers and sisters, we recognize temptation is is very real, that sin is there as well, but so is God's grace. Because he wants to give us that ability to look at these things and square off with them and look the devil in the eye and to tell him to get lost. Because, in fact, he wants to give us that grace, that help, and that heavenly aid to not only experience the effects of that grace, but to experience victory in the cross and to recognize we're not tied back or encumbered by sin or by temptation, but, in fact, we're released by the power of Jesus Christ. We just simply have to approach in all humility and all boldness and courage and conviction. Because my brothers and sisters we've each got temptations in our life we've each got areas where the lord might cont- or where the devil rather might be pointing at us and trying to get us to be weakened or even to sin itself but we need not fall we need not falter whether it's sweets whether it's watching tv or even the many different temptations that might actually do something to us but in fact if we approach the throne of grace if we're bold enough to ask god our father for that grace We know that we can be strengthened, we can be resilient, but most of all, we can be saved through Jesus Christ and through his divine gift to us. Sin is real, temptation is real, all of these things are very much a part of our spiritual life. But if we have that courage and that conviction in Jesus Christ, we know that we can even overcome the worst of every temptation and every evil desire that the devil throws our way.